tonight we're going to look at fasting and prayer. And we are going to look at some scripture, but we have a lot of things just to help with before that. Um, and and uh, Brother John was more than true to his word. He said he was going to do his best to make it 20 minutes. It was a little like 12. So uh, that was really good. But um, uh, I, I started to tell you a little bit earlier. I'm just going to stand back here because I don't know why. It just for some reason down there it was harder. Um, last week I asked you to pray for Savannah and Stephen so that Stephen and the children could get their visa. School had to grant that, and at first it looked like they weren't. So it, it's fine. So the next morning when we talked to them, um, she said, yep, no problem. She talked to the dean of the school, and they said they would grant the letters. So that's in process, so that worked out. Um, don't know what that hiccup was, but um, I'm, I'm always glad to be reminded to pray. And uh, I appreciate your praying, and, and uh, please continue to pray for them. They're hitting that time in their journey of being away from home where they are getting homesick more and more. Um, so uh, I had some friends that... Uh, used to, or they still do, live uh, in Thailand, and um, you'd ask them, what would you like us to bring over, and they'd say things like, peanut butter crapped in Captain Crunch, <laughs> you know, stuff you just couldn't get that they really loved here, and for some reason they couldn't find it there, but um, so uh, uh, there, there are a lot of people that are related people in our church that need those kind of prayers, so please be sensitive to them. Turn in your Bibles, it's not on your paper, you might want to write Isaiah 58, Verses uh, five through twelve at the top of your page somewhere, and uh, let me let me read what that says. Um, people ask uh, why fast. Some people, um, I've had some people say, "Oh, you shouldn't fast; it's bad for you." Um, and there are bad ways to fast that are bad for you um, because sometimes when you fast, when you get off of it, what happens? Any? Oh, let me ask this. And please don't be embarrassed to raise your hand. I'm raising my hand in a positive answer to this question. How many of you have ever been on a strict diet or a diet of any sort? Okay, most of us. The thing you do when you're on a diet is think about what you can't have. This is the human nature. This is why Adam sinned. You can have anything you want except that one piece of fruit. And that's the one thing he wanted. And uh, sort of that's kind of human nature. So... When you're denying yourself anything, when you fast on anything, all you can think about is how much you want it. And it takes, it really does take some time to quiet your body down, uh, which I will say again later, but to, to not desire something. Um, and, and, and so just kind of understand that. And so a person who, they say, I'm going to fast maybe a day a week. I, I, myself and a group of men, we did that for one year. For 52 weeks, every Thursday, I didn't eat anything. And every Friday, I ate everything I could get my hands on. Because one day is not enough. I'm just telling you, you're miserable for one day. If you ever fast for a long time, you're miserable for two days. And you're miserable for three days. And after that, it gets better. And if you're addicted to sugar or caffeine, you will be sick and <laughs> miserable on those first couple of days. Because your body is just, you've shocked it into something it's become dependent on. Um, so... You could wean yourself off before you, if you knew a fast was coming, you could start cutting back on some of those things that, that are addictive. But, but, uh, but what happens, I was, I'm still under the subject heading, I'm rambling a bit, that 
fasting can be bad for is if you say, I'm going to fast one day a week, and then the day after that fast, you super consume. Your body's barely had time to slow down, and then suddenly you flood it with stuff. Because as, as a diabetic, this is what I learned. This is why I'm able to fast. Um, well, you all know I'm wearing a pump, okay? Let me, I'll give you all a quick medical course. And by quick, I mean two sentences. Um, your body produces insulin and stores it. It produces it in the pancreas, stores it in the liver. The liver reads what's in your blood. When the sugar's there, it gives you insulin to fix it. When your sugar's low, it gives you sugar to fix it because the pancreas makes both is the final producer of the sugar, the energy you use, and the insulin you use. The reason I'm a diabetic, kind of diabetic I am, is my immune system killed the cells that make the insulin. So I don't produce insulin. So I put it in through this nifty little pump. Well, if you don't eat anything, your body still makes insulin. And the liver controls it. Okay? So I have this set. It is programmed. This is an $8,000 computer I wear on my waist. Um, and I'll play softball with that and go hiking with that and everything else. Um, but um, that's a very expensive machine. So therefore, I could tell it at what time of the day to give me how much insulin if I'm eating nothing. And that's the goal. So that if I am still and not eating, my sugar doesn't change because your body naturally has some rhythms where it releases sugar into your system and things like that. And so that's a long process, takes a while, but... And you have to wake up a lot in the middle of the night, take sugars, find out what they are. But it's not as long as I just made it sound, but it's, it takes some time to get all that set. Well, here's, I tell you all that to tell you this. Your body and mine as well. If you quit eating everything and you don't eat anything for 12 hours, at the 12 hours, your body will cut insulin production in half. It just quits making it. Because you don't need it. Now, the benefit of that is you won't feel as hungry. Because your body's not using up all the energy it's got stored. And it slows down. says, so oh, wait a minute. We've got to use fat. Your body will eat available sugar before it will ever start eating the fat stores. So you quit eating. 12 hours later, your body slows everything down. And it starts saying, hmm, where do we get energy? And it starts pulling fat out of the cells and burning that off as energy. Now, I'll tell you that to tell you, so you stop eating one day, and you're not going to eat for 24 hours. At 12 hours, your body starts making half insulin. It goes into that safe mode. It goes into a slowed down mode. And while it's in a slowed down mode, you only quit eating for 24 hours. 12 hours later, you start eating donuts and danishes and whatever, your body was not ready for that, and it whoop, all of a sudden, it's what are we going to do with this? Let's store it until the insulin needs it, and, they, and it stores it as fat. So a person who fasts and then just goes hog wild after that is always is not going to lose weight or get much health benefit out of it. You need to ease in off of your fast. Um, for one day, you don't have to ease in, but as soon as you eat, your body wakes up and goes, food, yes, give me more. So you got to tell, be quiet, I'm only going to give you a normal amount. And you ignore the sensation of needing to eat because you actually don't need to eat. It's just your body going, you woke me back up, let's eat, let's eat, let's eat. And it's just a reaction in your body. So I just, I'm just telling you that. So people ask me, well, why fast? Is bad for us, good for you? Um, 
Well, people, I know, it sounds silly, but people wonder about that. Uh, how will I feel? You'll feel horrible unless you wait, unless you go longer than three days. Uh, it's just a fact. I had one person tell me, I went a whole week, and I was miserable for a whole week. I'm like, Sorry, you're different. But uh, most people, a couple of days, three days, and you, you feel better. But in Isaiah 58, 5, here's why God says we ought to fast. Is such the fast uh, I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? Now notice. And, and in fact, we could back up to verse 1 of chapter 58. And what he's saying is these are false fasts. These are different things people do, like trying to just get God's attention um, and, and some other things. But in verse 6, he begins, this is the fast I choose, or is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Now that verse is fulfilled in your own life. Because an addiction to anything shows that there is an area in your life where you cannot tell yourself what to do. Let me just go on with the scripture. Verse 7. Is, uh, is it not to share your bread with the hungry? In other words, I didn't eat it. I'm going to give it to someone else. And bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. So... A second reason, the first one is to break the bonds in yourself, but also to break the bonds in other people as you're praying for them. Second one is to minister to people with stuff. I'm not going to eat it, can't let it go bad. Now, remember their day, they made stuff without preserves or anything else. If they didn't eat it after a day or a day or two days, it goes bad. So they only made what they needed for a day and they ate it. So you made something for today, but I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to fast and you give it to someone who needs it. Okay, it sounds we can simplify that a little bit. And so that's what the second verse is about. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Once you start fasting, you start finding this ability and these things by which you can do the Lord's will. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. So the point of the fasting is to break bonds. It is to help others. Um, and then when all that happens, God starts bringing forth blessing or righteousness and, and not, when I say, I hesitate to use the word blessing. It is a blessing. When I say blessing, people start thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get money and all that kind of stuff. No, it's God's presence is the blessing. And, uh, you'll call on the Lord and he will answer. You'll cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the, Speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. So he listed a bunch of stuff there you shouldn't be doing. And he's saying the fast helps break the yoke of that stuff. And the Lord, verse 11, will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall rise up the founda- raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So things that you thought you had lost, God can restore to you as well in the fast. 
So that is a great passage on why should we fast? Because it breaks bonds. It, it delivers people that are in need. And uh, I've, I've had testimonies of people who fasted. Um, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm, I'm like the best kind. I'm the kind that is really sick. And then there are type 2. And we've seen an increase in type 2 diabetes in America. And I'll tell you why. Because we eat bad food and we eat too much of it. And it's not, it's not your physical size. Even though the bigger you are, by the way, the more weight you carry on your body, the more insulin you need. So your pancreas is overworked because it's always making insulin because you keep feeding it stuff it's got to work with. And if you've got a bunch of weight, because insulin, what insulin does, sorry, I, this is my perspective on fasting because of who I am. What insulin does is it converts sugar into energy. So if you keep eating energy that you don't need because you're watching TV, you're not running a marathon, what is it going to do? It grabs that, that sugar and goes... Well, there's no muscle needing this, and it carries it over and sticks it in a fat cell. Now, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just speaking like I'm Dr. McCarter. The office is now open. No, um, only I'm cheaper than your doctor. Um, so what happens if you seriously fast and do it in, 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 a, in the way that, that it's helpful? What, you've, what you find is your body quiets down. You lose weight. And a lot of things in your body, and I, I, knew, I knew two guys that were type 2 diabetics because of their diet and stuff, weren't that old, they were relatively young men, and all of a sudden, their diabetes disappeared. A lot of people who uh, carry a lot of weight and are type 2 diabetics, if they'll lose weight, they won't be diabetic. My personal doctor when I was a kid, Dr. Pringle, I know it's a weird sounding name, but that was his name, Dr. Pringle. And uh, he was a diabetic if he weighed more than 150 pounds and was not a diabetic if he was 150 or less. Now, he was this tall and he was small. So guess what? He never got over 150 pounds. He kept a jar of water on his, on his desk. And when you are fasting, drink, 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 drink water. Because what flushes stuff out and makes you feel full fools yourself at least for a minute into thinking you're full. By the way... <laughs> I'm just going to ask you, have you ever had this scenario where for breakfast, it could have even been a piece of fruit, but you ate a Danish, pancakes, waffles, and all of a sudden you felt a little sluggish, a little slow, and then about, let's say you ate it at 8, and about 10 or 11 o'clock, suddenly you get ravenously hungry. Okay, let me explain what just happened. Number one, you didn't have, protein slows down the release of that sugar, okay, so if you eat more protein, the energy is released more slowly because your body turns everything you eat into sugar. If you eat a steak, it'll eventually be sugar. It just takes it forever to do it. So I take, I have a formula. If I eat a candy bar, most candy bars are 24 grams of carbohydrate. That's two units of insulin for me. I take two units of insulin for a candy bar. I read the label that tells me that because if it's a good candy bar, it's more carbohydrate. But anyway... That's kind of an average. A potato is about 48 carbohydrates. A, a fries from any restaurant is like a, a fast food place, 48. A, a hamburger bun, hot dog buns, 48. That's just, those are, but a piece of bread is only 12 to 15, according to if it's white bread, it's 12. It's heavy grain bread, is 15. So I just do that math formula all the time. But by the way, this computer costs $8,000, and it will figure it for me if I just tell it how many carbohydrates I ate. But here's what happens. In your bodies, if you're non-diabetic, remember I told you your body goes, ah! 
table sugar, that kind of sugar. I know I'm getting to this fasting thing, but I want you to understand what's happening so that you can begin to deal with that overall in your life. Don't just fast for this. Table sugar, your body doesn't have to do anything to break it down. When you eat it, it just goes right in. I tell you, vegetables and meat, you don't even have to count that. Even though it's going to be energy later, it's not energy now. It takes your body some time to process that. Candy bar, right now, baby. So you're running, and the, the range is 80 to 120. If you're below 80, you don't have enough sugar. If you're above 120, you get too much. That's generalization. They, according to who you're talking to, they sconch it out five to 10 more points. But that's the range in numbers. You say, what do those numbers mean? You want to know it's milligrams over deciliters of sugar in your blood. Now you know. Big words, I couldn't even do the math on that, but I'm just telling you. So you eat that candy bar, and your body doesn't have to do anything for that to turn into, into sugar in your system, and your, insulin, your sugar starts spiking. You're rolling along at 80, and you eat a, you know, you eat a Snickers, and boom! You know why Snickers satisfies? Because they put peanuts in there slow. It's got a little bit of protein. That's, that's why it doesn't make you as hungry. So it takes off and your body goes, sugar attack, and throws a bunch of insulin on it. But here's the deal. Insulin lasts longer in your body than sugar does. So the insulin grabs the sugar and pulls it back down to a normal level. But it because you shocked it, it released too much insulin. And now your insulin's out there looking for some more sugar to grab, and you feel hungry. You're not hungry. You just ate a crazy Candy bar. You're not hungry, but you feel hungry. So fasting tells you, gives you the ability to tell your body, shut up. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. Now, I said that roughly because sometimes that's what you got to do. And if you'll just stop and think, you say, hey, I, I wanna, I'm hungry. Go, Wait a minute. Am I really hungry? Do I really have a, a need for to eat something? And if you'll think about it, a lot of times the answer is no. And to quote my son, who's not the highest spiritual giant in the world, but he's a godly young man. Hey, Dad, just because you're hungry doesn't mean you have to eat. It's a great quote. I'll go ahead and tell you, he's the one who said that to me. And I said, you're right. And that was another reason I got through 40 days once. So, look at your paper. The main thing in fasting is the support of prayer. Because it is painful. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to say, oh, you'll see visions of Jesus. No, you'll be going, where's the candy dish? I'm starving. And so the main thing in fasting is the support of prayer. And by the way, I mean, I love junk food. I'm a junk food junkie. And I have to, you know, occasionally just go, okay, that's it. No, no more because I, if I start eating that, I can't control myself. So the main thing in fasting is the support of prayer because the only way you're going to get through that toughness of the physical is with the spiritual. I think I told this class, and I'll repeat it again, um, when I was, we covered this in class, and this is in preparation because this week I want you to fast at least for, eat supper one night and don't eat again until supper the next night. Now, that is a little bit of a cheat because you really should eat supper and not eat breakfast. Don't eat until breakfast, not tomorrow, but the day after. That would be a full, you know, but at least 24 hours without eating. But you ate on both ends of it. By the way, you know Muslims fast for a month. You know what that means every year? That means they don't eat if it's daylight. So they stuff themselves at night. And they get cranky and mean and they're demonic anyway. So it's even worse. But 
But the main thing in fasting is the time of prayer because, and, and it's at the bottom of your page, it quiets your body. You start telling your body, I, don't, I feel hungry, but I'm not hungry, and you're not going to tell me to eat. I promise you, all of us in here, we've got days and days and days and days of stores in our body we don't have to eat. And our body can just process that as it goes. And a lot of levels, blood levels, all that will settle in. Okay, so, so understand that. Secondly, fasting should be a resting time, except when it's for warfare. In other words, if you're fasting, you, you probably don't need to be, in most cases, like super, super uh, agitated. It ought to be a time of quieting. But now if you're doing spiritual warfare, it's going to be a, a high emotion, high intense time. Um, and, and you can do either one. Sometimes you can fast just because i got to quiet my body. i got to tell it. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to, do, I'm going to tell you what to do. By the way, my daughter this week went and, and she po- she's got a business that is on social media and other stuff. And she posts these cute pictures. And she said, I'm getting off Facebook and Instagram because I found myself picking up my phone every 30 minutes to see what was on there. And so I'm going to not do it. And so I just wrote her and said, the only Lord is Christ. Paul said this. I didn't look up the reference. I think it's in Corinthians. He said, I buffet my body to bring it under subjection. I will not be a slave to anything except Jesus. Now, that's a paraphrase, but that's what he said. And so Jesus was his only Lord, his only one that told him what to do. And it wasn't going to be Krispy Kreme like me. All right, so fasting it should be a resting time to quiet your body down, to quiet your mind Again, except when you're in warfare. And then, don't publicize your fast. I talk about it because I'm required by the Lord to teach you about it. Um, but uh, there, if, if you're fasting, um, remember when Jesus criticized the Pharisees? He, he told his disciples, says, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. Because they weren't fasting for real. They just kind of said they were. And, you know, it would be like maybe, oh, I didn't eat my second breakfast this morning. And then they would go and they would make their face look really bad and they would mess up their hair and all. What's going on? Oh, I'm fasting. It's horrible. You know, and Jesus said, don't be like them. When you fast, fast in secret because God, your father, sees that. And he'll take care of all your needs if you just, that's between you and him, don't let everybody know. It says that about giving too, you know, and, and different things. He says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Now, some people carry that to an extreme, but the, the point is, don't go around and go, well, I'm fasting today. And so then you go to the office or wherever you work or somebody or with someone, and they go, hey, we're going out to eat. You want to go? Say, sure, I, I, I'm just not real hungry. I'm just going to drink some water or something. And you just make an excuse or, oh, my stomach's been kind of upset. I mean, don't lie. You probably do feel miserable and you probably want to eat. But, but um you know, tell the truth, but just don't say, well, I'm fasting and the Lord's really speaking to me and you need to fast. You know, don't do that either. Um, sometimes we get like, oh, well, I fasted and why aren't you fasting? Don't do that. Um, but don't publicize it. And then and then underneath that, um, uh, we'll see how the, <laughs> it would help me to to look. Okay, so this is, we, we come to time of preparation. But but let me let me say, if you if you did a, a day of fasting about once a month, that'd be a good thing. Twelve times a year, that's a good thing. That's twelve days at least. Um, uh, in in the past, uh, I've encouraged the whole church, and, may, and maybe we'll do this next year. Maybe we can do it this year. Um, forty days this year, and that can be a day at a time, forty times. It could be ten days, four times. It could be five days. 
20 times. I'm going to get into math I can't do in just a minute. Um, you know, 20 days, two times, whatever. Um, and just this is just my experience. Everybody's experience is different. Um, and, and by the way, you know what I was talking about? Startup, most books and things you read, it says when you come off a long fast, like only drink a little bit of juice or, or eat some soup. Man, I just go for the Whopper. It doesn't bother me. Um, when I did the, you remember? I did the 40 days. It ended on Memorial Day. That was the day I could eat again. Memorial Day in, in May, end of May. You remember? And Janice said, what are you going to eat? I said, hamburgers. And she's like, that's going to hurt you. No, it's not. And I ate one and it hurt. But anyway, um, so my body, I can take a lot of stuff that some people can't. So ease back into things and don't go like for the high fat, high sugar stuff at first. Eat slowly and break back in slowly. But if something important's coming up fast, um, I had never done 40 days when Janice and I got married, but I promise you I did a at least a day. I fasted a, a short time. Back then, that was about all I knew how to do. And and so, before uh, I drove her down to her mom's in Brunswick so I could ask her in person, um, I had asked her over the phone. Jay said, no, but I fasted for a day to make sure. I called my parents and said, what I'm going to do. I need you to pray for me. And, and uh, so, so something important's coming up. Fast, you know. We're trying to find a music pastor. Have you actually even prayed about that? Has the search team prayed about that? Well, obviously we've prayed about Have we fasted about that? You know, do we want to win Stanton for Christ? Have you fasted about that? And, and here's why I ask that question, not put anybody under guilt, because I don't. Uh, last thing I want to do. But remember, Jesus came off the Mount of Transfiguration. What he found in the valley was a demon-possessed boy. Anytime you come off a spiritual high, you're going to face demons next. Period. That's just a fact. For most preachers, it happens every Monday. Okay, so you come off this high and you go face demons. And Jesus goes face these demons. And this guy says, my son's got a demon. It throws him in the water. I was drowning. He's, it makes him ride, throws him in the fire. And your disciples couldn't cast him out. And Jesus goes, talks to the man, talks to the demon, throws him out. And, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, well, what happened? How come we couldn't do that? Because they had cast out demons before. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, Right? There's some, there are some forces in your life and around you and in your family and your workmates. And there are some situations where you got to get seriously in a warrior mentality. And I will do what it takes to make that happen. So if there's something important, then I recommend fasting. And you, I hope that you'll begin to experiment with that and, and do it. Um, let, let me just throw this out there, too. I know I'm, I'm saying a lot of things that pop in my head as I go, but... but um, Set your mind and a goal. Don't say, well, I'll try it. If I, you know, if I can make it, I'll try to, you know, I'll eat supper one night, Thursday night, and then I won't eat again until Friday night. If you say it that way, you're going to eat breakfast Friday morning. Because you'll get up thinking, man, I can't, I can't eat. And I'm hungry. I want something. No, you say, I am going to not eat for this period of time, whatever that period is. And then that's it. You make a vow to yourself and to God. And remember what Ecclesiastes says. It's better not to vow than to vow and break it. So if you're not going to do it, don't do it. But if you're going to do it, say, I'm going to do this. No matter what, I'm going to go through it. Okay? Um, Just a word of caution. 
because it's difficult. It is difficult. I'm not going to lie. And anytime you try to get closer to God and do something drastic to get closer to God, the devil's going to come after you. You ever been praying and all of a sudden you thought, did I leave the iron on? You know, the alarm clock goes off. The cat goes crazy. Oh, my goodness. Did I bring my, did, did, where did I put my car keys? You'll get the weirdest thoughts in your head. It's because the devil doesn't want you praying. Okay. So I, I asked that question. How I many you found it more difficult to pray as you tried to apply some of these principles and a few people raised their hand? Yeah. Sometimes you do that, man. The devil comes at you harder because he'll let you do anything but not pray. All right. So here's how you prepare yourself. And this is based on a, this assignment was you had to do a half day and it was, it was Friday and Saturday, Friday night and Saturday. And so Saturday was the day we, we weren't eating. So I left it that way just as an example. You could do it any day of the week. But on the evening before you're not going to eat breakfast, have an evening dedication and lay out your clothes. Get them ready. Now, I, I have to shower in the morning. I'm a greasy individual. I can shower at night. Next morning I'll wake up and I'll feel dirty. i got to shower again. That's just the way I am. I took a shower before I came tonight because I was miserable from this morning. And I felt, oh, I sweated and whole kind of stuff. So I just had to do it again. So I did. So... I have to get up and take a shower, but if you're a night shower, good. Take your bath at night and be ready. Don't worry about it in the morning. Um, again, this isn't legalism. If you're addicted to coffee or tea, try to cut it back on it maybe that day, but don't give yourself a pounding headache for a 24-hour fast. Drink a cup of coffee. Make sure you don't get that. But in the evening, dedicate yourself. You know, Turn off the TV. Say, go and, go and pray. Find some verses You know, and, and just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to fast. Never done this before. I'm scared. You know, just be honest with God. Yeah, y'all know. Y'all, y'all heard those guys that try to pray and use big words and all that. And you know, I, I think God appreciates it when we just talk to Him, like we were talking to somebody. I've told God jokes before in prayer. I, I probably doesn't surprise you, but I mean, He's got. I, I'm sure He heard it before. You know, and so it, it didn't surprise Him. But hey, if He's my Father, I tell my. You know, I used to tell my dad jokes. So why not? And then I'll just say, hey, Lord, thanks for letting me do that. You know, just because I just want him to know I'm not doing that disrespectfully. You're mad at God. Something tragic's happening in your life. And in the moment you're mad, tell him. I'm really mad at you, God, because of what you did. And if you can't do that, God can't help you. You've got to be honest with God. So on Friday night, come to God and just dedicate yourself. Lord, I, I'm going to fast. I'm scared about it. I don't want to do it. I'm, I've never not eaten before in my life. I, I knew a guy, and to this day, as far as I know, he's never fasted. He's just, I, I can't not eat. And he's high energy. He's kind of a skinny guy. And I get it. He probably doesn't have a whole lot of fat stores because he's really, and he just can't eat, and he eats a lot. And he just couldn't do it. He just wouldn't do it, wouldn't, wouldn't dedicate himself to it. So no matter who you are, do that the night before and lay out your clothes. You know, I have trouble getting going, and the best thing I can do to get going in the morning is get ready the night before. That's just a fact, okay? I don't know about how you grew up. I grew up, we had this, my parents added on the house when I was about five years old, you know. And uh, they there was a dining room and a kitchen, and even before today where there's the open design, we had a swinging door between the kitchen and the dining room. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so when they... Added on a, a new, we call that the den. The living room's in the front, or no, the front was the den. The back was the living room and a bathroom and a bedroom. That was mom and dad went in there, so I wouldn't have to sleep with my sister anymore. At five years old, I guess she figured that was enough, and they built another bedroom so I could have my own. And uh, so anyway, they built that, and my, they cut out the wall and put a big 
mirror, not mirror, what I'm trying to say, window. It, but when I say window, that thing was long. It was about eight feet long. looked a lot longer when I was a kid. Every Saturday night, Dad's Bible, Mama's Bible, Sister's Bible, my Bible. Underneath that was Dad's Sunday school book, Mama's Sunday school book, Sister's Sunday school book, my Sunday school book. And on top of that were offering envelopes with the money in them. So on Sunday morning, we got up, picked it up. Saturday night, have you polished your shoes? Here's your outfit for in the morning. And my mom made sure that we were ready. And Sunday morning, we got up, we got ready, and we went. Well, as you're going to fast, I don't care if you're going... I would recommend not wearing your pajamas <laughs> because it puts you in a kind of a mental attitude of, you know, I read about one lady that before she went and did her quiet time, she would bathe, put on her nicest outfit. She lived in a two-room house, and that was in the bedroom, and she did her quiet time in, in the other room, and she hung a mirror in between them, and she would stop and make sure everything was neat before she went to meet with the Lord. That's a mental thing that gets you set. I'm going before God. I'm going to, so the night before, prepare that and, and do whatever it takes to get ready. And, and warn your family if you live with anybody. Say, tomorrow, I, I really need to be alone. I need to have quiet time. I need to be away from everybody. That's why I'm recommending Saturday. Say, I don't have time to do that. Yeah, I know. That's why we're powerless because we don't take time to do it. So on Saturday, get up early. Don't sleep in. Don't say, oh, I'll wake up and then I'll get started. Set a time to get up. You said, man, it's the only day I have to sleep. Well, skip one week. I'm sorry. You know, just So get up early. Don't eat breakfast. So you want to go at least 8 to 12 hours without eating. Is, is really all that's going to happen because you don't eat at night anyway, usually. Um, I did know a guy that he used to get up in the middle of the night and eat then too. Of course, he got really large, but he did it. So get up early. Don't eat your breakfast. And you know you're going to go all day without eating until supper at least. Um, and then Saturday evening, as you come to the end of that time, because you, and I'll show you what to do in that time in just a minute. So when you come to the end of this time, again, dedicate what you just did to the Lord. Lord, this was for you. I'm not going to talk to, about this to anybody. You know, make this day fruitful in my life, whatever it is. And you, you pray and you go ahead and eat whatever it is. But notice this, what it says the next day, be protective. Because what did I just tell you? An intimate time with God, the devil's coming after you the next day. I don't care if you liked or didn't like Jerry Falwell, but he made a statement one time that was really good. He said, I've never had two good days in a row. He said, if I have a good day, I know tomorrow's going to be a bad day. Probably had more than two bad days in a row, but he never had two good days in a row. Now, he didn't ever tell anybody that. Every time you saw him, he's laughing, jovial, friendly, great guy. He'd go down a water slide in a three-piece black suit. He he was just a great fella. He let those struggles not be out here. He put them in here. So Sunday morning, be protective of those around you, your family. But understand, the devil's coming after you. You are now a target. He, He wants to shoot you. He wants to take away. He wants to steal the fruit that you just cultivated. All right, so here's the content of that day. Do a scripture search. Intensive and extensive. Those are two different words. They sound a lot alike. Intensive mean man drill down on it, and extensive mean read everything you can find on it. Don't do that with books. Do that with the Bible. Okay, this is a day for the Bible. If you want to read a book to prepare yourself, read it before that day. Pretty much. 
Um, I, I'm not, again, don't get legalistic about that. If that might be what God leads you to do, then do it. Don't, don't listen to Stuart. I'm not God. But, but I would encourage that. Now, you say, I don't know how to do that. Here's how you do that. <laughs> I do this all the time here. Janice says, you got to quit looking at your phone. People think you aren't paying attention. I said, I'm looking something up. She goes, I know, but they don't know that. So I'm going to tell you now. On here, I've got an app. Now, if you don't have a smartphone, don't sweat it. There's other ways to do it. You can do the other thing I do, which is i got books on my shelf. You can go buy a book and do this. Probably get them cheap now because everybody does it on their phone. And I hit that little button there, and I have a Strong's Concordance. And I can hit the little magnifying glass down here. And uh, let's say um, that I, I want to pray to God... Um, about his will. So I write will in here. And I just got 2,925 times the Bible uses the word will. So I can go through here and I can kind of read the short one and know whether it's what I want or not. That is a book that somebody put into the phone. The book's on my shelf. You can buy that book and... Today and it's all and that one's all in King James because that's how I think. I can find stuff in King James and then I got to come back to the New Translation to read it because that's I I just hear King James in my head. That's what I remember. You know I'm I'm not here to debate that. That's fine. I don't you know who cares if you can understand these thous and therefores and thuses then use it. I you know it's great. But but find out what 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 is it that's troubling me or what am I praying about. And that day, as you are fasting, read as much as you can find in the Bible. Um, I use this principle not with fasting, but, uh, but I think I shared this once. That, that something was coming up that I was going to have to do something spiritual. And I realized that I was having an issue in my heart that I was not getting a victory over. I was struggling with it. And I shut the door, locked it, and I looked up everywhere in the Bible that the Bible said that word. And I read every particular scripture I could find. And I read... You know, it's kind of silly when we say, it was in the last place I looked. Well, of course, you've been dumb to keep looking after found it, right? But I promise you, it was almost at the end of the list, and I read the verse that I needed to get to. But I needed to read all those other ones to get my mind moving in the right direction. It sort of set me up for it. And then I read it, and I was like, that's it. Okay, thank you, Lord. And I got victory over it, and then I walked away. Cool. You know, that's great. Uh, thank you, Lord. So that is why you may be doing an intensive search. Or... God may say, I want you to read. I got the answer in this book of the Bible. So you may want to spend the day reading extensively the book of the Bible. But be intensive about a subject, but read it that extensively as well. Read everything you can find in the Bible about that subject. And, you know, you may come up with a different word on the same idea to find other scriptures. Um, so you can use a concordance. You say, hey, I, don't, I don't have the book. I don't have a smartphone. Um, if you've got a Bible, in the back of my Bible is a concordance. It's not as complete, but there are some hints there. So you can look up a word and see there's at least a few verses. And if you have my kind of Bible, in the center column between here, there'll be a little letter in the verse by the word that I just found. And in the center column, it'll tell me the other place I can find that word. And I can go there. And in that one in the center column, it'll have another place I can go. So you can do it that way if you just got a Bible. Uh, that has a concordance and, and references in it, then you can do it that way. Now, if your Bible doesn't have those, and some of them don't, the ones in the hotel do not, um, I don't know what to tell you except say, Lord, I need your help finding this, and start reading, okay? But, 
but do that. The content of the day is to read a lot of scripture. Okay, underneath that, under that scripture search, here's what you want to do with that scripture. The first thing you want to do is worship. You give him worship and praise and thanksgiving, all three things. This is the most important thing of the day. All right? So I've been talking a lot, but all that was getting ready. Now I'm sitting there. I am, I'm not going to eat, and I'm going to look into my scriptures. And as I begin to read the scripture, the first place I see, I go, whoa, look at who God is. Stop and worship him and thank him and praise him for who he is. And once you get that thing exhausted, and, and, and by the way, have a notebook. Write stuff down as you're doing it. And then you come to something else, and you whoa, stop and worship. Worship is the most important thing you're going to do that day for a couple of reasons. Most of them are pretty obvious to us. Is because it is in his presence where we see, other, we see ourselves more accurately, right? And I would use the Psalms for that. I put that in parentheses. I would start, even if, you know, don't, don't even start in your search. Start with the Psalms. Start with that. It's the most important thing. Um, but even in your searching, when God gives something to you, just stop and worship him about what he just, he just gave you a, a snack, a spiritual snack. And man, chew on that thing. Love him for it. Worship him for it. Thank him for it. Praise him for it. Apply it in your life. Then secondly, after you worship, you take a spiritual inventory. Proverbs 11 through 15 are the best chapters for that. Okay? That's what that means. Proverbs 11 through 15. There are other Proverbs that are good, but those are the ones that are really do this, don't do that. What are you doing here? What are you doing there? After 15, that's still there, but it's more like, well, this is what a wise man does, what a foolish man does. You can read those and apply those yourself. But 11 to 15 is more very direct to you, just like bang, bang. So that's only, you know, that'd be five chapters versus 30. Um, that, that really do that. And, and you're looking to expose sin in your life. Because this is after worship. Because if you do it before you worship, you won't see it as clearly. So it exposes uh, sin in your life. It, it, it leads you to confession and cleansing of that sin. It gives you restoration and renewal as you take that to God and say, okay, we're going to have a showdown. This is a high noon showdown. I'm going to shoot this sin. I'm going to be done with it. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to love you. And I'm, I'm going to turn away from this. I'm turn to the cross. Remember the sin puddle last week. All that was leading up to this. Don't, don't repent over your sin. Repent toward the cross. And I climbed through the choir and I heard about that a few times. Just jokingly. People gave me a hard time. And that's okay. That's why I do it. Um, just so you'll remember. So take that spiritual inventory. And then intercede for other people. Do you know who, well, this, this is a, a, a dated thing now. Um, but I, a lot of people in here are my age and older, and some of y'all are a lot younger. But um, I grew up, all my uncles sat around smoked, some of my aunts did. And most of them smoked cigarettes. I had an uncle smoke pipe cigars and cigarettes. And I had an uncle came up and visit. When he came visit, those two uncles sit on the lawn, and they'd smoke all three almost simultaneously. I mean, it was just everywhere. And then, of course, people started like, oh, you can't smoke, can't smoke, can't smoke. And people start quitting smoking. And you know who the worst person about not smoking, like they were obnoxious about if you ever, if they got around somebody that smoked was? It was the guy who quit. <laughs> it just, he couldn't stand it because, I don't know if it's because he wanted it or because it just, he realized how irritating it was to him. And, and so he quit. So 
as you are coming through that, God's going to get you in the right place spiritually where you are now humble enough that God can reveal. Now, this thing I've showed you, you know your buddy over there? You need to pray for him. Because maybe it's a guy you did it with. Maybe it's a guy you went out and did whatever it is you weren't supposed to be doing anyway. Or y'all, you know, whatever it is. I, I, I'm afraid of saying too much. I'm afraid of saying too little. I, I trust you can figure that out. Um, so pray for other people. But set forth. And then that's one thing you can do. It's like, or, and it could be like my children are lost. Or my children are doing this service for the Lord. Or um, my friend is having a struggle in her marriage. Or, or his marriage. Or, or my friend needs to really know the Lord. And, and so you intercede for other people because now you've, you've kind of like <laughs> cleansed your own soul some and you can pray for others. But you do it and then this should be a, the second thing. That's why there's a comma there. Pray, this is something else to do in that prayer time. Set forth the work of Christ. How many missionaries do you know? How many churches are you aware of? How about the church you're in? How about the other Christians you know? God, may your work be done in these people and pray for the people and pray for the churches and, and, and ask Christ to advance his cause in the world. That's one of the reasons for prayer, to break the, our, our yokes, but also to break the yokes of others. Not only do we feed our soul spiritually, but we might could feed others. And so intercede for people and, and just go into that. And then be seeking blessings. Workers and fruit. God bless me that I can bless others. God gives us abundance so we can give it away. By the way, this story I didn't get to tell this morning. We're at the men's deal. And a Kirk Cousins was one of the guys that came and talked. Now, I assume that most of you probably don't know who Kirk Cousins is. And that's fine. I don't know that much about him either. And I've learned more of the past couple of weeks than I ever knew. Kirk Cousins was the quarterback of the Washington Redskins up to about a week ago, about two weeks ago now, probably. And and he had a lot of good things to say, and I can't get into all of them, so I, I won't. But his dad's a pastor. And from the time he was a little boy, they knew he was going to play football. It was miraculous for him to get where he is. He wears number eight because he was the eighth guy drafted in the draft. He didn't get drafted till the third round. But he led the Redskins into the playoffs. He was the quarterback that brought the Redskins back a little bit. And, and, and he's switching teams so they can, might even get to the Super Bowl now. But um, <laughs> not a Redskins fan. Um, but anyway, so he, but his dad's a pastor and he was the eighth guy. So he wears number eight. But that's not because he was the eighth guy. He was discouraged because he, th- he thought, hey, somebody should have wanted me earlier than this. And his dad said... Um, you remember when Samuel went to anoint David? Yeah. He said, uh, what happened? So he tells his dad the story. You know, he brought in the first kid. And he said, oh, big, good looking. That's got to be him. He said, no, not him. And he said, how many of his brothers came in before David? He said, seven. And then what did Samuel say? Do you have one more? Because God's not in these. Yeah, he's just the kid out there. He said, and they brought him in. And God said, that one. He said, I'm not saying you're David, but he was number eight. And so were you. So take that with you. So now he wears number eight. That's why he does it. Well, here's the big deal that most, if you know just a little bit, here's what you know. The reason he's no longer a Redskins is because, a Redskin is because the, Washington, uh, the uh, Minnesota Vikings 
is paying him $83 million for three years of football. It is the highest per year salary of any NFL player in history. And people are going, he only took him to the playoffs and that, you know, what in the world? So we're sitting there and they're asking him these questions. And the guy interviewing is a guy named Dennis Swansburg. I don't know if you ever know him. He does imitations of Billy Graham and Barney Fife. He's really funny. He's a good guy. And he used to be a pastor. And so here's Kirk Cousins sitting with his dad, who's a pastor. And uh, he said, well, Kirk, I used to be a pastor. And you can't get the pastor out of you. Now, if I, sitting there, if I was your dad, and my son just got a scholarship to play football, that's all he said. He didn't say the amount. $83 million, three years. He said, I'd just be thinking one word, tithe. (laughs) And and everybody roared laughter, and Kirk Cunn said, let me tell you. He said, when I became, when I got drafted by the NFL, my wife and I agreed. Tithing is a baby step. And that we would increase our giving every year until we were giving away 50% of my income. Now, I've heard on sports radio them go, they paid this guy $83 million. What in the world? And Man, he did the right thing. Take the money. You know, all that. Now you know why they paid him $83 million. Not because they wanted to pay him $83 million. Because God wanted to give him $41.5 million to give away. But he'll be faithful to that. See? Isn't that awesome? I mean, I was like... Yeah, because I was sitting right there with Robert, and I looked at Robert and said, Robert, now, you know, Robert and Mike Beatty and I were sitting there, I said, now you know why they paid that dude $83 million. Is that what it is? 500000 a week. I hope, could y'all get by on 500000 a week? That'd be all right. Um, yeah, so, so, guess what? This guy's trying to walk with the Lord, and he decided to give away 50% of his income, so God said, okay, well, here's it, $43 million. let's see what you do, $83 million. let's see what you do with that, big boy. So now he's told the world what happened. So he can't not do it now. You see, he, while he was walking in freedom, threw up a wall of saying, yeah, but I don't want to give all this away. No, now he's got to because he's told everybody he's going to, right? See how that he also put a guard in there? By, by proclaiming it, he put in a spiritual protection as well. So... I, and I don't care if you like the Redskins or Kirk Cousins or football at all. I'm, don't, don't miss the point there. So you can seek blessings. Seek workers. Isn't it weird that Jesus said, look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Send out workers. What do you mean? You got to ask God to do what God wants to do anyway? That, that hardly makes sense. But, that, but what does he want? He wants us to be aware that we're not in it alone, number one. Number two, that God wants more people to get in it. And we ought to be praying for them. So in this... Time of intense prayer. Pray for workers within the church. And listen, we need to start praying that more people be missionaries. More people be pastors. More people be pastors' wives and missionary wives. And they they get involved in that same ministry. Youth workers, you know. And and they don't have to be full-time vocationally. But but to serve the Lord in many other ways. Just pray that God will do that. And pray for fruit in your life. Probably the most important fruit you can pray about is the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. Love, joy, joy. Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, against such there is no law. And begin to pray for that. And, and to pray that God will give you spiritual fruit and soul save. That he would help you to grow. Maybe you are struggling with tithing and you need to spend that day reading what God says about giving. 
We use the word tithing for giving, but in the New Testament, 10% is no longer the standard. And if you want to use tithing as a standard, the Old Testament standard of tithing, they did it three times a year, so they gave 30% away. Because they gave 10% three times a year. Their harvest and stuff. And they gave 10% of everything they had three times a year. Okay, so... If you say, well, I give 10%, well, you're throwing away from the law. And the New Testament says, give as God's blessed you and given you abundance. So, so you, need, you might need to figure that out with God. What, what does God want you to do? The guy named Letourneau, that now there's a school named Letourneau College. He was a Christian, started a business, and he said, I'm going to tithe. And he tithed, and his business went bankrupt. And he said, Lord, I, I believe in that you want to give back as I give, so I'm going to give 20%. He started another business, he gave 20% away. And his business collapsed. He said, okay, Lord, 30% this time. He did it again. And after that one collapsed, he said, Lord, what is it you want? He said, I want you to give me 90%. He said, okay. He started a business, started giving away 90% of his money to the Lord. He became so wealthy on 10%. He built a college. And at the end of his life, was giving away 95% of his income. He had so much money, he didn't need it. He lived on 5% of what God gave him. So you can ask for fruit. You can ask for blessing, but not for yourself if God can trust you with it, okay? And then settle personal problems and burdens. Maybe you're upset about something and you can't get over it. Maybe you're burdened about something. Settle those things, okay? So the last thing I want you to see is that fasting will help you control your body. And above all, it is a hushing period. It's saying... It's saying to your body, shh. By the way, when I was talking about um, praying for workers, uh, I, I, I want to give you this, this quote. God knows the secret of where Satan is holed up. I don't know if you understand the term hold up. That's H-O-L-E-D, not W-H-O-L-E-D. It means where he's hiding. God knows the secret of where Satan's hiding. So in prayer, you're setting forth the work of Christ Satan's hiding in there somewhere. He wants to destroy the work. Well, God knows where that is. So you pray that. And you pray Satan be exposed. You know what my wife used to pray for our kids? If they did wrong, we'd catch them. She also prays that for her husband. Scary. So set it forth because God knows where Satan is. Ask God to expose Satan and his schemes and his plans and what he's doing and to set forth his work in the church and everywhere. All right, so fast and help you control your body. Above all, it's a hushing period. And remember the disciples. So let's look at those verses. Um, This has been a lot of practical teaching, not as much out of the Bible. Um, And and, uh, and, in one sense, I kind of apologize for that. but, But I wanted to give you some practical help in fasting. Um, and this is like anything, when you first try it, you may fail, you may not do what you thought you could do, you may not do what you wanted to do, don't let it kill you. Another great quote from one of my children is, learn from it, do better next time. My daughter had to say that to her husband when he failed the test, she passed and he was upset about it. She said, learn from it, do better next time. And he said, That's got, that got him through college. <laughs> Learn from it. Do better next time. Acts 13, 2. And there it is on the board if you can't see that. Um, Oh, that's just the reference. I thought it was the verse. Uh, He's naming all these 
disciples, and why does that not look right? Well, that's it. I'm going to go back to verse 1. Oh, there, there it is. There's a two in there, which is a reference to look down at the bottom page what that meant. That's what, that's what happens, looking at the wrong two. But I'm read one through three. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, that's a son of encouragement. Simeon, who's called Niger, that's the word for black. So Simon the black. We don't know if he was a black man or black, had black hair or whatever, but they call him Simon the black guy. Um, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch. So they had a guy from Herod's court in there, and he's a disciple. And Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, there's, there's a lot of good principle in this that you, we do well to hold on to. First of all, why was the Holy Spirit able to communicate to them? It was right there in the verse. They were fasting. I mean, just think about the subject of the night. This is, this is an easy question there. They were fasting. Remember, when you're fasting, you worship the Lord. Now you can hear better. Now you can see better. And now God has an opportunity to speak to you. So as the church was fasting, God said to the church. What was the church's response to that command of God to them? Look at verse 3. They fasted and prayed some more. They heard from God and then said, Now God, we're not going to run out here and think that we heard from you. Are you sure? And they kept fasting and they prayed even more. And God said, yep, that's it. That's what I want. Okay. Now you make him say it three times. They went ahead and did it. But here's the question. This is the missiological question. You get this question in mission class. Who called Paul and Barnabas to go out? This is literally, people argue over this question. But I'm going to help you with it. Okay. Yeah, the Holy Spirit called them. Who sent them? The church sent them. The Holy Spirit calls the church sins. Because do you think that, well, this is a dumb question, but I'll ask it, just help us think it through. Do you think Paul and Barnes are sitting there going, oh man, this is great, we're praying, and, and everybody else goes, what? And they, everybody in the church turns to Paul and Barnes and go, God just told us to send y'all out as missionaries. And they went, oh, Really? Or do you think Paul and Barnabas already knew and just didn't say anything until the God told the church? I guess either one could be true. A pastor friend of mine, if you wanted to date, like you're a guy in the church and there's a girl in the church you wanted to date. Now, of course, you can't control everybody's actions. But what they taught and what people did, including his children, was you had to come to the elders and ask permission to date. That other person. And so they would pray over it for you. They would pray and fast for you. They would talk to your parents. Make sure it's okay with them. Say that's extreme. Yeah I know. And when you got married. They didn't come in on a Saturday and decorate. This is the wife's side right. Yeah. The bride would sit over there. And the groom would sit over there during church. And when church service was over. They'd say we're going to continue this worship service. With the marriage of Paul and Becky. That's his daughter and 
son-in-law and bring them to the front of the church and let the church witness the godly union of two young people. Now, I only say that as an illustration. If you're in here single, I'm not going to do that to you, okay? But you'd be smart to seek that kind of protection, spiritual protection. I told my daughters, and this is just about the spiritual part, growing up, that they could not go out with a boy unless he asked my permission to take them out. They're like, how daddy No, That's horrible. That's terrible. I said, well, let me explain why I'm going to do that. Because he's going to ask you when I'm not around. You can say, you have to ask my dad. And then you can come home and say, dad, Andrew's going to call. And he's going to ask, can he take me out? And I don't want to go with Andrew. And I'm going to say, Andrew, let me ask some questions. And then at the end, I'm going to say, you know, I don't think you ought to be dating my daughter. So no, I'm not going to give you permission. Now, I taught him that, and I told him that to the point that I heard my son at about nine years old around the corner from me. I told you all this. Around the corner, I heard him go, oh, yeah, man, I asked her. She don't want to go out with you. And I went, Ian? And he came in. said, you know, he knew. Oh, Dad heard me. I didn't know Dad heard me. I said, did you just tell, and I called his name because I saw who it was, that Cameron didn't want to go out with him because I knew the, the age group. And he went, yes, sir. I said, did you tell him you asked her? And she said, no. Yes, sir. I said, did you ask her? He said, no, sir. I said, good. Give me a high five. <laughs> All right. So that was good, son. That's how you do it. That's how you protect her. I'm, I wouldn't have let that boy date her. But my girls would tell guys that in high school. And they go, I, I, I can't call your dad. And they wouldn't call him. And they didn't go out. Because that was a rule. You know what my girls said when they got married? Thank you, daddy. Thank you. Because now, guess what? They got daughters. <laughs> But here's the point. In Acts 13, 1 through 3, I think Paul and Barnabas were of the character. If God told the whole church and didn't tell Paul and Barnabas, and the whole church said, Paul, God just spoke to us told us to send you out as a missionary. He'd go, okay, great. Let's, when do we start? I believe that he would have gone with what the church had decided. So the point is this, that God will move on an individual. If you can't get the church to agree with you, then maybe you're just a lone ranger. Now, if you're in an ungodly church, that, that, that's different. But the disciples, in fasting, God spoke to the church. I don't want you to miss the point after all that silliness I just did. In fasting, God spoke to the church. And when they heard from God, they didn't just take that right away. They fasted some more and kept praying. God, what is it? What are you doing? Um, in chapter 14, in verse 23... And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I just finished telling you, we're trying to find a a man to come be our worship pastor. Well, if the Lord opens our eyes to see who that is, then we ought to appoint them with prayer and fasting. Not with, hey, this guy looks like he could do a good job, let's hire him. Right? Right? Don't we need to seek the Lord on these things? Right. And that's a good good word. Um, she just said, so you're actually seeking confirmation. And, and when seeking the will of God, God will give you an impression or idea of what you, it ought to be. But God puts us in a church because the church can help us confirm those things. And so some confirming thing is when you... Remember the Bible says that two or three witnesses? Um, you know, I've had several of those happen to me recently. I, I had 
some warnings from individuals that, you know, just about a personal thing of me telling me, hey, you need to be careful about that. And I was like, you're right. And then somebody else did. I was like, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm hearing it. <laughs> somebody else does it. Okay, I'm hearing it. I got it. All right, I'll be careful. And God was just trying to tell me something. And, it, you know, so it was con- confirming. Um, I, had, I had a fellow after the first service today come up and tell me something that had happened to him this week in a breakthrough he had. Now, I won't say any more than that because... Um, and I don't know the details, but that's enough. But the cool thing was the process by which it went was something we were talking about in, in staff meeting this week. And as I was teaching about prayer earlier, and right at this moment, if you were asking me what it was, I couldn't tell you. But it was about how God can do certain things, and God did it in this guy's life. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. God's doing it. And that word confirmation is a good word for that. That God confirms things in our life. And so the disciples, they... The church can agree. Now, we're Americans. We believe everybody has a vote. And so we do that. We're congregational because we believe in that. And that's not just us. The church, I think, ought to be in agreement. But I don't think we ought to just use our common sense for that. I think we ought to be in prayer and fast, especially about something spiritual. You know, and, and like, well, what kind of thing are we going to buy or do? I don't care. Whatever works. Just get some works. We don't have to, you know, get too... Uh, well, that's a stupid story. I won't tell it, but. Right. Oh, I agree. Um, hold on, I'll tell you what you said. I got to get a drink. I lost a lot of water this morning. I haven't had trouble catching up all day. Um, what she just said was, the Bible commands us to test the spirits, and I agree. God doesn't mind testing. You know, somebody says, oh, just believe it. Don't worry about it. Well, that leads to dictatorship. That leads to cultists. Okay. But any spiritual thing, you ought to test it. And let me give you the test for spirits. If you're around anything, if somebody starts freaking out around you and it's really weird or you're in a weird situation or somebody's trying to tell you something spiritually, here's what you do. Here's the words you use. It, well, it's in First John. You can, no spirit can testify that Jesus has come in the flesh unless it's the Holy Spirit doing it. So if you... Look at that thing and say, Jesus has come in the flesh. He is God. And if you get a reaction, you say, acknowledge Jesus is God. Is Jesus come in the flesh? I went, uh, uh, my brother, uh, uh, Brad, Scott, right? I got that right? Say, I'm good. Um, <laughs> not that good, but anyway. Um, I know another Brad Scott, so this is easier. Um, but, no, we were having this discussion the other day, and, and I was telling him, I went to a church one time, a friend of mine, he's a pastor friend, um, you know, I don't have anything against him, but his church uh, believes in sign gifts, uh, such as speaking in tongues and stuff. And I went to his church, and I'm not saying this in an ugly way, but the whole time I was there, I was just saying, under my breath, but out loud, Jesus has come in the flesh, he is God. Jesus has come in the flesh, he's God. And that day, that nobody spoke in tongues that day. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong in doing that at all. Don't even hear that in my voice, okay? I'm not saying that. But that day they didn't, and at the end of the service, the pastor even mentioned it because I was supposed to be at my other church, but I was on sabbatical, and he didn't know it. And he's like, it's really weird. We got Pastor Stewart here today. Why are you here? And I'm on sabbatical. Oh, okay, I just want to visit you. Oh, great. And he said, well, it's kind of odd. I don't know if it's because you're here or not, but nobody spoke in tongues today. And I was like, oh, well, it was because Baptists in the building, you know. But... Let me just, remember what I said this morning, our worship is an echo of what God's done. Did you know Satan counterfeits what God does? You say, that's right, all them speaking tongues is demonic. No, I said he imitates the real thing. 
So for him to imitate, it's got to be real. Right? That's just logic. So don't say everybody speaks in tongues wrong, because they're not. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's doing that. Be real careful when you say, that guy's demise. It's got to be against Scripture before you can say that. But if you're in the presence of something and you're not sure about it, put the spiritual test to it. Is Jesus God? Did he come in the flesh? Only the Spirit of God can say that. If they can say, yes, Jesus is God. He comes in, he's come in the flesh. He is the Lord and Savior. He's God of God. And we worship him. They're good. Because they can't say that apart from the Holy Spirit. A demon will shut it down every time. He can't say that. He won't say that. Um, yeah, I shouldn't tell you that, so I won't. Um, verse 23, though. So they, they anointed these new leaders in prayer and fasting. Titus, he says that. I left you in Crete to set north things that are, and to appoint elders. And so it, when, we, when we go for our leadership, we want to make sure they're spiritually, spiritual men, spiritually sound men. And, and indeed, in your own life, because <laughs> watching your favorite TV show go, Jesus is Lord, he's come in the flesh. And see if you go, oh, you get a twist in your spirit. Oh, man, I may, might not ought to be watching this. See, put that test on yourself. That's, that's the real lesson there I should get to. You know, don't be going around as, you know, you're God's detective. You're going to find out where all the demons are. No. Just, you, you hang out and try to serve God. Demons will show up. Don't worry about it. But in your own life, you got to do something. It used to be the question. I don't know if anybody even asks this anymore because Christians do so many crazy things these days. But people used to come and say, can I do this and be right with God? I said, can you glorify God while you're doing it? If you can't glorify God in it and while you're doing it, no, don't do that. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. You don't even have to pray about it. It's just wrong. But if you want to get to that spiritual test, Jesus is Lord. He's come in the flesh. I don't belong to me. I'm, I am, a, I am a, a living sacrifice to the Lord. And you start worshiping God and you start breathing heaven's air and this world's pollution starts really irritating your lungs. I don't mean that in a physical sense. So in your own life, in that prayer time, in that quieting, in that fasting, God can meet you and and God will open up for you what he has for you. He'll open up your gifts and your, what God has given you. And God, I don't think... I don't think God's taken away any of our gifts, any of the gifts in the Bible. I think they're all there. They're available if they're needed. And God will, will help you with that. But look at Isaiah 40, 31. That is a great, great, great verse. In fact, it's not my ministry verse, but it's one of my two life verses. Um, the other one's Hebrews 4, 12, but, but Isaiah 40, 31. So I could quote it. But I won't. But I like verse 30, uh, 30 before 31. Actually, I like 29. Actually, I like the whole Bible. But I'm going to start at 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths fail, shall fail, and, and shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fa- uh, fail, ex- uh, fall exhausted. By the way, when the word says, when the Bible says faint, that means to give up, okay? It doesn't mean passing out, sorry. Oh, it just wants me to check my sugar. Nothing's bad. Um, it's time to do that. That's all it meant. Um, when it uses the word faint, it means to give up. 
And in the New Testament, it says, so Jesus taught them a parable why, why they should pray and not faint. It means give up on it. So young men are going to give up exhausted. But, uh, I wish Rick uh, was in here. Rick did a devotion tonight on the word but. That, and he liked what I said last week, that when the word but is there, it means forget everything else before that. It means that's kind of irrelevant. Okay, young men will fail, but those who wait on the Lord. Those, uh, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They won't give up. I want you to catch something in here, and it's the word wait. We always use, think of that word as sitting still. And pretty much that is what it means. But wait also has another word. Because at the restaurant you have a waiter. And he waits on you. Is he just sitting there looking at you, waiting on you to tell him something? Or is he actively doing something for you? So don't be so active you can't hear from God. But what it means is don't try to work it out for yourself and be so impatient. You try to make it happen like Abraham did. Abraham, will give you a son. Great. Could it be my servant? No. I'm going to give you and Sarah's son. Sarah says, here, take my slave and... Have a baby by her. Maybe God will let that one be it. So he has Ishmael by Hagar. He's like, can Ishmael be him? God says, no. I said, you and Sarah will have a son. And then God gave gave him that son at 101 and 99, right? That was a miracle. They didn't wait on the Lord. They didn't serve the Lord and wait on him to do it. They tried to do it for him. So sometimes God tell you what he's going to do. And guess what next week is? How to wait in the in, in, in the in between time, between the promise and the fulfillment. But God tells you He's going to do it. Trust that. Don't get ahead of Him. And this verse is telling us that when we do that, when we quiet ourselves before God and we wait on Him in prayer, we mount up with wings. We our strength is renewed. Our, we mount up with wings like eagles. We run and we don't get weary. We walk and we don't faint. We won't give up in the fight. And the example of that verse and actual literal fulfillment of it is the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus went to his disciples and said, you better pray, the test is coming. And they fell asleep. And he went and woke them up said, you better pray, the test is coming. And they fell asleep. And he said, you better pray, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He didn't mean, I know you're falling asleep because the spirit is weak. The flesh is weak. He said, your flesh is weak and it will not survive a spiritual test. That's why I said in your own life, test the spirits. It's not that you're a spiritual detective. It's in your own life. Lord, is this of you? Is Jesus Lord? Is he being glorified in this? And if he's not, maybe you ought not to be doing that. 